Bernadette Flanagan, you are a presentation sister. You're chair of the board of Spire, the Spirituality Institute in, here in Ireland. And the institute is organising a very popular summer school that's been going now for a couple of years. And lots of people come. Tell us about this year's uh, summer school uh, and about the institute itself as well. Yes, the summer school has been running for 15 years now and it's always fully subscribed. This year we're having maybe a little bit of a change of direction in that we're going to focus more on ecology. Uh, Previous years and this year as well we'll have a little bit about the arts, uh, theatre, film, song, all of these ways that open questions of meaning and purpose in life. So we use many different approaches to come at the question of spirituality, how I make meaning in my life. And uh, we find that using these diverse ways actually is very helpful for people. And I know that at the Institute there are people doing Masters in Applied Spirituality and that is actually under the auspices of Waterford Institute of Technology, which is an amazing development. And um, there are people doing PhDs. But this summer school will be open to anybody and it lasts over two days. Is that right? The summer school is for everybody. It's an open event. It's a taster event, I suppose, to see what the possibilities are to meet other people that have similar interests and to see what the presenters have to offer. So it's a five-day event. It is possible just to do the mornings or just to do the afternoons, but it runs from the 21st of August for five days. And then out of the summer school, then people, I suppose, get a sense of the diversity of ways that spirituality is being looked at uh, today and perhaps find that there's an interest that was always there. Maybe they've been offering spiritual care in a nursing environment. Spiritual questions have come up in psychotherapy. Maybe they're leading an organisation and they're trying to come at deeper ways of making decisions. So for all kinds of different people, uh, the spirituality question is of interest today. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed um, looking up at the website and looking at the Facebook and the different things over the years, that the applied spirituality It can be applied to anything and the Institute does have a a, a broad and and deep insight in that regard. Tell us about some of the things that people have been studying in their Masters and the areas and the type of people who've been coming. Applied spirituality perhaps has been developed in a very unique way here in Ireland and people globally are looking at how we're doing it here. But an example would be, say, a person has looked at the transition into motherhood, the first two years into the journey of motherhood, and how that has raised new questions for her, brought her back to reflect again on, you know, what is it that I want to pass on and how do I do that well? And the need uh, to reflect on her own integrity, her own values, uh, and uh, to be able to act authentically on those. So the journey into motherhood has been one of the research areas that we have looked at. Other research areas maybe have been around contemporary questions like addiction or suicide and how enabling people to uh, come back to the centre of their being, to have the practices of spirituality, the practices of being able to centre, to focus, to meditate, all of these practices that enable us to still perhaps those kind of stormy waters that can be stirred in life. People are looking again at these practices and seeing what do they have to offer in the contemporary uh, sitting in which we find ourselves with so many pressures around us. Now, one of the things you often hear said nowadays in contemporary Ireland is, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. How does that phrase sit with uh, the Spire Spirituality Institute? 
Uh, in the Spire Institute, we walk with people whatever direction their journey is taking. And um, there are common languages. There's the language of truth. There's the language of being authentic human being, uh, which spans across diverse traditions, whether it's philosophical traditions or, or religious traditions. So I suppose the challenge is to find a common language that we share uh, with each other and then to be enriched by the different traditions that have taken up that language and spoken it in a unique way, whether it's how the Buddha spoke it or how Jesus spoke it. We also seek to be enriched by the diversity of religious traditions. So the starting point is the common language and then looking at how that language has been taken up in different traditions. So the spiritual and the religious can go uh, hand in hand and have a, a way of journeying together. In the Masters, people will pick a thesis topic, is that right? They do it for a year, they pick their own topic that is of interest and relevance to them. So it's very often applied to their own lives, as well as studying courses. What what are some of the courses that they study? Uh, the courses that they study, are they've, there are theory courses and there are skills courses. But in the theory area, people look at issues like gender and spirituality, social transformation and spirituality, contemplative psychology, so other maps of how we unfold as human beings as well as the classical clinical uh, maps. Then the whole area of philosophy and spirituality in terms of authenticity and value and being a person of integrity. So all of these different disciplines feed into uh, the conversation around spirituality and the approach that we take. And it is also practical because participants are asked to undergo spiritual accompaniment or spiritual direction themselves. So it's very much appealing to the whole person and to their spiritual journey. Yes, and like no two people's journey is the same. So it's very important in the programme that there's the opportunity for people to explore on a one-to-one basis their own journey. So there's a very wide panel of people who are trained, uh, professional people in spiritual accompaniment from diverse backgrounds. So uh, there's the opportunity to choose from that panel and then over the course of the year to be able to unpack the personal questions that are coming up in the context of doing the programme as well. So people really enjoy that component. It's perhaps the first time that many people have had the opportunity for personal spiritual accompaniment and it can be very enriching and many people choose to go on with whoever they've met on the journey after the programme is over. So the programme doesn't really end when the last class is over. It spins out in people's lives in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, because I mean people can have counselling and there are very good therapies and counselling processes available to people but it is slightly different when you look at it and shine the light on the spiritual aspect in a holistic way it's not like well there's the spiritual and then there's the physical or there's my real life but to actually shine a, a light that illuminates all of your living from a spiritual perspective can be very helpful for people. Yes many people are you know taking up books to read in this area and perhaps see themselves as alone they're the only person with this interest the whole one of the elements of the program is that they meet like-minded people and then with the spiritual accompaniment uh, then they have uh, an opportunity to develop this language uh, that they've been putting together from reading because if we go to the body mind spirit section of any of the big bookstores uh, they're huge areas so it just shows you the level of interest Uh, that's there in that kind of question so taking that interest that's out there more broadly and enabling it to go deeper to find a language for it to articulate it for myself personally how I'm making that journey all of those are opportunities that the program provides. Um, 
also thinking about some of the topics that have been covered and one that has intrigued me and um, uh, is one on spiritual tourism. Now tell me about that. Yes, uh, spiritual tourism is a fast-growing segment within the general tourist market. There are specialist organisations particularly across Europe and in Asia that are looking at this question, uh, how to uh, develop a site of spiritual significance in a way that respects the spiritual identity of the site. The site may have a heritage component, it may have a therapeutic component if it's a holy well, but it also has this uh, spiritual component. Uh, I suppose particularly through the whole development of pilgrim routes, uh, we're very familiar with this and the renewed interest in the holy wells in Ireland. We see uh, this rising from the ground. Perhaps we're not as aware of the international focus. So uh, several groups contact me and there are a few other people in Ireland that are regularly contacted when they're coming to these sites. They want to know what the spiritual history of the site is, what are the spiritual rituals uh, associated with the site. Uh, they want to make contact with other people that perhaps have visited the site, uh, for whom the site has been a transformative experience. So uh, this dimension, which goes beyond uh, the geography or the geology of the site, uh, there's another component that people are looking for, because I suppose in so many areas of life uh, today, uh, giving gifts, it's moved beyond just giving objects to offering an experience. And I think it's the same thing in tourism today. It's moving beyond just having a catalogue of postcards of particular sites to actually uh, know, uh, coming in contact with an experience that's associated with a particular site. And that's what uh, spiritual tourism is about, is opening up uh, the sacred dimension of ancient sites uh, for the contemporary seeker. Um, what sites in particular are we talking about? Um, in Ireland, it would be uh, our pilgrim routes, places like Ballantubber and Tóca Padraig there. Uh, the Bridget route is very popular as well today. Um, West Cork, uh, the site of the pilgrim route around St. Gubbinet. So um, John O'Dwyer has produced a book, uh, Ireland's Pilgrim Paths, uh, where he's mapped out these routes uh, very clearly. So it's possible for people now to just get the handbook and take to whatever routes uh, uh, work for them. We don't have the same guidebook around the Holy Wells. Uh, there's an American anthropology department doing a lot of work on trying to map all the Holy Wells uh, for the first time. And then in Ireland? In Ireland, wow. yeah, in Ireland. So when a university have been working on that for a few years. And uh, then uh, somebody who was working on the spirituality programme is particularly focusing on Holy Wells around St. Dimpna. So I suppose different people have different interests. The Dimpna tradition is very important uh, because it's a tradition that looks at healing in the context of mental health uh, challenges. And it's a shared tradition between Ireland and Belgium. So uh, that's uh, a set of sites and pilgrim routes uh, that have a cross-European uh, interest. So, you know, every time you pick up a newspaper now, you find that some new site is getting uh, a focus. And uh, in just outside Milan, there's going to be a conference at the end of June uh, looking at our experience across Europe and particularly looking at a programme to, to train uh, spiritual tourism guides so that when people go to these sites, the, the site can be opened up from an archaeological and heritage point of view, but also the guide will be offer, able to offer some kind of ritual that brings people into the experience that has become associated with that site. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I, I didn't realise that at 
at all. And I say that as somebody who went up to a holy well um, in Donegal, up the mountains behind um, Las Fannin. And my friend and I, and we climbed up the mountain, and it's right in between two, we call them mountains, of course, they're hills. But it's right in between these two hills. It's been there, I was taken there as a child, and we were standing at it, and we were looking out over the most beautiful Loch Swilly, and suddenly the air went very thin and went very still. And my friend, who would not be particularly religious, she turned to me and said, did something happen there? And she felt a real sense of her own father, who was dead, whom she was very close to. It was very moving. Then, And I knew it happened too. It wasn't just one of us, it was two of us. And I'm fascinated by this idea of people, even in terms of mental illness, like you can imagine coming together, walking, being at a place, it, there is no doubt but those places hold something special. They're not there for nothing. And that there's a move from the ground up, as you say, to revisit. It's, it's very hopeful and, um, yeah, quite inspiring. And I suppose the whole healing strand or uh, healing intervention has always been part of Irish ancient monasticism. Some interesting work was done by the Royal Irish Academy uh, taking a helicopter up over some of the islands along the west coast which would have been the route along which Brendan and others went and where you had these uh, hermits or small communities and always on those sites there's a herb garden and a healing space so healing and hospitality went very closely together in old Irish monasticism so uh, it, it's natural then I think uh, in these days where you know we have all kinds of new health challenges and uh, illnesses that are more complex that there's an interest in these ancient therapeutic uh, traditions and ancient spaces of, of healing uh, because even the quality of, of the air the stillness all of these are so important uh, for our well-being and these sites often are in remote places and retain some of that quality so uh, that's amazing so Brenda you're, you're involved in that you are involved also in the new monasticism movement tell me a bit about that too uh, the new monasticism is a global movement and uh, sometimes it's called uh, monasteries without walls and there are other names on it portable monasticism and essentially it's looking at uh, you know that life is accelerating and uh, within this life that we have today where it's so possible to lose, spin away from the centre and uh, become disoriented about where am I going, what's it all about. Uh, the, monasticism has a set of practices developed which enable us uh, to come back to the centre of our being, to have some kind of rhythm in life, uh, to, be, uh, to enable us to uh, see more clearly uh, what is our core drawing what, what is my essential being and how can I be true to that so it's returning to some of those ancient practices, the practice of holy reading, uh, the practice of having a schedule of life for a day, a week, a month uh, practices of spiritual companioning so these kind of practices that were within monasticism uh, are being retri retrieved as practices for everybody and uh, new monastic communities are finding ways of sharing those uh, with each other. Some of the communities live in a single place and some of the communities uh, are dispersed. Uh, the communities come from different traditions, the Benedictine or Cistercian tradition, and also, particularly in Scotland, uh, some of the communities come out of the tradition of Iona and Lindisfarne. So uh, 
we have, there is you know quite a diversity in monastic practice. Do, do they live together, or can you do it like virtual reality, or remote yeah. monasticism? Yeah, well, the community of Aidan and Hilda, that that's based in uh, Holy Island, or that has its origins in Holy Island, is a dispersed monastic community. So they have a shared rule of life. They have a, an induction program which goes on for about a year, where they're accompanied into that way of life, and then uh, they live in different places but support each other. Uh, is that here? Ireland? Uh, the community of Aden and Hilda has some members here in Ireland. Uh, okay, its base isn't here in Ireland. So uh, that and the Camaldolese have some members here in Ireland as well. So uh, it's spreading out around the world, but uh, usually people commit to returning to the base for a retreat time uh, each year uh, in these new monastic movements. Now, you're a, you're a presentation sister, as I said. Are you, are you, it's not monastic, but are you part of a monastic community yourself? Um, no, not uh, I haven't, you know, taken a commitment to some particular community, but I would very much support the spirit of the community and I suppose uh, people who are living in spiritually oriented life patterns uh, are co- forming coalitions more with each other today so last night I was in the eco village in Club Jordan yeah. and uh, again you have people who are trying to look at the earth from, from a deep uh, perspective and religious traditions have always had that deep perspective on creation being a gift so um, I think all these different groups, the monasticism groups, the ecological movement, religious uh, communities of service, which is what I would come from, uh, that we have a lot in common between each other and moving forward, uh, forming coalitions and uh, supporting each other in a more intentional way seems to be uh, an effective way for the next generation. It's very hopeful and you know when people think that oh, the church is falling apart and structures are falling apart but there's all new seeds coming up in very different ways and forming alliances in a global way yeah. and across different faiths uh, and and people of all faiths and none mm-hmm. where our common earth and as Pope Francis put it caring for our common home yeah. can unite everybody that's uh, that's very true that uh, I've been with uh, somebody this week who's been looking Amy Hereford is her name she lives in an eco village in the United States and this is what we've been looking at, uh, the emergence of these coalitions of intention, uh, small communities and what we can learn uh, from each other in terms of collaboration and practice and, and good structures for leadership within the society. So it's a new conversation. Uh, uh, probably we've come out of an era where each group kind of just walked its own path uh, and was more interested perhaps in developing its own internal structures. Now we've moved perhaps to an, a new generation of uh, looking at how groups of spiritual practice uh, operate and the whole theme of connection and collaborating and communicating is very much part of it and I suppose being in a digital age uh, supports that much more uh, then as well because you know some meetings that I have now uh, you know there are 14, 16 countries uh, in the meetings zoomed in and uh, it's it's very inspiring and it also gives you uh, a kind of this living in a global family sense that what happens here in whatever we do in terms of our emissions it directly affects India or wherever it might be so I think our our sense of being a single global uh, family is being deepened by technology today so that's really helpful and finally I'm thinking of the spirit of your founder it's Nano Nagel and the the 
you know, desire for her beatification. Mm-hmm. Even years ago, that wonderful Nanonagle Centre set up down, I think it's in County Cork, is it? That that was ahead of its time, and now you're doing work that I think she would have valued and would have been very much in her spirit. Yes, well, in two weeks' time, we hope to open a digital hub at the original place in Cork City that she founded, which will be, you know, bringing education into cyberspace. Now, this has already happened in Ireland in that uh, we have an iSchool in Ireland. Uh, these uh, There are about 2,000 students uh, that the services currently offer through the Department of Education and Science can't reach. They're not able to get to schools mm. for whatever reasons. So through the iSchool programme, it has been possible to reach uh, this cohort of program of students and enable these students to complete their educational journey and find their path in life and it won a very important technological award there recently for the work that it does so it's trying to bring iSchool out of Ireland onto a global platform Uh, there are initiatives like this around the world there's a whole initiative around grandmothers uh, being facilitators of education in India so we're looking at some of these models that exist in different places and uh, bringing that kind of educational vision that Nana Nagel had just in her local laneways in Cork uh, onto a global platform today. Yeah, at the cutting edge of the digital technology. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, you, you know, that's you know, if you're to be effective, you always have to evolve with the way that the society is evolving and uh, take the new opportunities uh, that it's creating. So. Uh, being at the forefront, I suppose, is very much part of presentation. It was the first uh, of the Indigenous Irish groups, and I think being first uh, and trying to go right to the frontiers is very much part of our spirit. So today it's a technological frontier. Well, we wish you all the best with all those initiatives, and they have. it's been fascinating talking to you. And hopefully we'll get further updates, because I think listeners would be really interested in taking part, if they do, Spire, can you just give us it's www. Spirituality Institute, single word, spiritualityinstitute.ie. And the new monasticism, they can look that up as well, just Google that. And the centre in Cork, that will be in the news, I hope, no doubt. Yes, it's called Nano Nagel Place. So nanonagelplace.ie, it has its own website as well.